right, welcome to Quasimodo Sunday, which you thought was only in the Hunchback of Notre Dame, didn't you? The vicar will bring them to you. It's the same one you got last time that we never touched because we talked about stuff. So uh, Quasimodo Genitae is a, you know, is a, you got all your, you got, and the vicar embedded a joke in his sermon and nobody laughed now. We've been 0 for 3. Now if you, is, 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 uh, did you get it? You picked it, you got it. Was about men and directions, you know. Oh, you did. You just subtly laughed. Yes, in the way of in the way of the octave. You couldn't be too boisterous about it, you know. It's still a feast. That's right. It was good. It was it was subtle, you know. You have to you have to just be careful about those things. Okay, good. That was good. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, we've been born anew to a living hope through resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First Peter one, three. Almighty and everlasting God, who through death and resurrection of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, has proclaimed to us the gospel of peace, grant that by the power of his resurrection we may be born anew to a living hope, and so overcome the world through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, happy, to the f happy feast day, happy uh, octave. And it's a fascinating thing because alternately this has become known, as you probably know, as Low Sunday in the church because uh, people don't come back. <laughs> so uh, it is, uh, it's true, it's true. It's known, as, it's, uh, it's known more than colloquially among pastors as Low Sunday, which is you had the big blowout on Easter last week, and people think, well, I'd had enough Jesus to get me through at least for 14 days. But in the early church, it was a fascinating thing. They, um, it would just be an amazing thing if we asked our 40 new members to camp out for a week here while we gave them further instruction. <laughs> that would be, be a very interesting thing. Uh, you got anything you want to talk about? All we did was talk about stuff last time. I got a couple leftover questions, but I'll try to get to them. But you got anything? Everybody okay? You got anything you want to know about, talk about? No. Anything? No? You everybody okay? All right, a couple of things just, uh, just by the by. You know, so there's all sorts of new things that came in, uh, gospel book and the big host and the incense. Um, I've had no complaints and many compliments, so that's probably a good thing. Uh, it's always interesting to watch you know, how we adapt to new things. We still have some things we need to do. Um, there are some things we do that aren't probably proper or best. Uh, for example, in matins, uh, on Sunday mornings, or during the week when we have evening prayer, um, you know, technically we don't stand for the gospel reading because the gospel reading is in the midst of other readings. Now, you sort of get better as you go, but um, there may be a point where we may, and I know this will, you know, it even, it even makes me just, you know, slightly break into a sweat, you know, not stand for the gospel uh, on Matins at Sunday. But really, Matins is a, is a Sunday, and Vespers, they're, Sunday, they're, they're, they're services that are not proper to Sunday. Uh, they are proper to... Um, the days of the week, their daily prayer, you know, like the Psalms say, morning and evening, or the, or the church seven times. So, you know, we got a few little kinks. The other, uh, not kinks so much. I mean, there are things you can live with, but it'd be better if you sort of got in line with what happened for the last 2,000 years. The other thing is you might have uh, noted that the vicar almost set me on fire at the late service on Easter. There was that moment where I disappeared in the cloud. Uh, or, <laughs> <clears throat> now, the, now, the good news about that is, is that's the proper thing, and there are probably more things the vicars uh, should be doing, and we probably need to move them toward it. You notice that 
from time to time, depending on uh, availability and competence and comfortableness of guys, you know, we give them more and less things to do, uh, from you know, putting up the cloud of smoke to carrying the gospel book to reading the prayers, leading the creed. If someday, you know, if you want to know sort of the technicalities of that, anytime you put out a hymnal, there are uh, notes, and they vary now. It's A and P in the blue hymnal, right? So A is assisting minister, and P is pastor. So really, you know, what's reserved to the pastor is a fairly, uh, is much less of the total uh, service on Sunday than we traditionally give. Uh, and I'm always, I'm always, I'm always surprised by uh, when, things, when things change here. Almost always they're changed back in the direction of the book. Now it may be changed, it may feel to you as if things are changing, you know, out of control or strangely, or why do we do that? But almost always when you look, we're changing back to what's in the book. For example, I don't know if you ever noticed, but the reason there are notes for the Kyrie is so that it's chanted. But for about 80 years, it wasn't chanted. In fact, the Red Hymnal, I think, you had to buy the chant tones separately, right? They were in a separate book. It was a real departure. Uh, you know, somebody must have gotten hives on the committee about chanting for in, between 1930 you know, and 1960, you know, uh, where they just sort of left the music out. But the, you know, those sorts of things uh, where they're chanted, Almost everything we do is kind of a movement back to what the book suggests. Not that the book is always right, but that we are part of a larger community, not just our community, a community not just to people who are alive now, a community that has lived you know, forever and ever, amen, and still lives. So any of that, I just, you know, just sort of watch for those things. Um, sometimes it's easier for you and for us just to bring a bunch of them at once, just do them all and watch what happens. So we survived. and. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of okay. Uh, but any just questions about any of that stuff? Everybody okay? I did want to, somebody did ask me about transubstantiation and, and that tied to the elevation of the host. Let me say a couple of things about that. Um, although I think the vicar carried on in Joy Group about this one day and I did a little bit as well. Um, despite what you may have heard, Luther, and Lutherans were never particularly bothered by transubstantiation. Uh, you can read the, uh, the Babylonian Captivity of the Church, which is early Luther, 15, 19, I think that is, or 21. You guys remember the copyright? 20? I was close. I had the over-under. Uh, so it's 1520, Babylonian Captivity of the Church, where Luther's coming free. Transubstantiation is not the thing that bothers him. What bothers him is the sacrifice of the Mass and the fact that people don't get both the body and blood, that the blood is withheld from them, the chalice is withheld. They're not he's not really so bent about transubstantiation. Transubstantiation, just so you know, is it, it's a it's a it's a it's a philosophical explanation of how bread becomes or changes to body. Borrowed from Aristotle. So already your warning bell should go off. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. So Luther sort of says, well, it's not really right, but they, didn't, they don't enforce it, so we don't have to worry about it too much. Now, there was a time later on when it did, in fact, get to be enforced, and then you have to rebel against it. You know the old Lutheran thing. If they say, I can't, I, I, can't, I must, and if they say, I must, I can't. Right? I mean, it's, it's, believe me, this works its way out in every congregation, in every Lutheran family I've ever known. If you say I must, I can't, and if you say I can't, I must, right? Uh, we are those born in rebellion. <laughs> uh, it wasn't the Reformation for nothing. Okay, so, uh, 
you know, but, but so, so the thing automatic, I mean, we don't confess transubstantiation. Now here, if you're a little more sophisticated and took a theology course somewhere, or forced to, we also don't believe in what's called consubstantiation, which is often what people say about us to try to explain what we say. We don't say anything. We, we just don't say anything about it. It is a mystery. It is a miracle. We have no explanation. We only rebel at the point when people make us say what the explanation is. So um, just to be clear, you know, uh, and you'll notice some things like at the elevation, normally the priest's way of elevating a sacrifice is to elevate above his head like this. So you notice that at the elevation and the pastor is careful not to go above his shoulders because he's telling you we're not doing what they're doing at the Catholic church down the street. However, we are doing something, you see. So you have, to, you have to sort of know what you're doing. I, I realize this is, the, this is a little, maybe a little more nuanced than, than maybe you might be used to. On the other hand, if you don't tend the nuance, then you lose things which can be extremely valuable to you uh, in, the course of, in the course of your life. Uh, you know, I think it's fascinating about Lutherans that we embrace stained glass but not icons. Well, what's the difference? I mean, one's painted on glass and one's painted on wood. What's the difference? You know, in a way. Or we, you know, there are things that we, you know, the incense thing, which actually seemed to go down pretty well, actually. Uh, I was surprised. I had only people comment positively and nobody comment ne negatively, which maybe means we got it in about the right position. We'll see what happens. But that was a helpful, helpful thing. Um, so anyway, I just, wanted to, I just wanted to say a little bit about that. Uh, and there probably are a few things yet to come. Everybody okay with that? This is just kind of getting through the feast days. Everybody okay? Got any other questions about that? Then just in terms of update things, because, you know, you come to Bible class, you get to know the secret stuff. <laughs> All right, so uh, things are cooking. Uh, you know, we're about halfway through with the Bible church. There are weekly meetings of committees and subcommittees and people doing stuff. They're generating a bunch of data. Uh, you're going to have to stay on your toes. Uh, our due diligence runs out on the 27th of June, which likely means, now I'm just sort of putting a flare up for you, we're probably going to have a voters meeting on the 25th of June to decide this, probably. I'm just sort of, I'm sort of getting it out there for you so you're paying attention. That's way later than we normally like to have a voters meeting. <coughs> However, because we know that people go away and travel and we'd like to, we always try to get it in before school is over so people get done. Okay, you know, this year we've got, we just can't shave off the last 25 days of due diligence. There's just people are, the people on those committees and subcommittees are working like dogs trying to get things done. Uh, you know, for example, <laughs> last week we sat for two day, two, two or three hours with, I uh, can't even remember now, I'm, I'm losing, but we sat for two or three hours with a stained glass guy and a designer trying to say, what people really care about is this stained glass. How could we move this over there and make it work? So, you know, this committee sits and listens. The next day we're over there saying, um, what are the acoustics in this building like and for the kind of music that we have? I mean, their sort of music, which is that the air conditioning unit runs louder outside, what do you do? You just turn up the music louder because, you know, Jimi Hendrix pretty much at any volume is, oh wait, just no. <laughs> so, uh, you just sort of, so we have, you know, we have different issues, you know, that we have to deal with. So almost, you know, on a daily, if not a weekly, or a weekly, if not a daily basis, these things are being sorted out. I'm just shooting up a flare for you. Things are going pretty well. A lot of people are working hard. You're going to have to pay attention. We've got a lot of data to deliver at some point. Um, the other two big things, I think, are the call committees for principal and pastors. Both are going strong. Those nominations are closed. The names have been come back to both committees. The committees are meeting to um, put shortlists together. 
and to talk to folks. Uh, and that's sort of where it lies. You know, we're sort of in this middle thing where contact is being established with people um, and they're being invited in to chat. The principal committee is slightly ahead of the pastoral committee just because um, those names came in first, but both of those committees are charging ahead full steam. So you're gonna need to, again, pay attention. And even, you know, normally we try not to do business in the summer months because we know people are gone and we don't ever want anybody left out. On the other hand, we have an awful lot of business to do this summer. So just, you know, pay attention, talk to your friends, listen, you know, adjust your plans a little bit if you can. People are working hard. Um, the chairs of those committees are working exceptionally hard to keep things going. Jill Zempel for the principal, Dennis Wente for the pastors. And, uh, you know, things just keep charging ahead. So just any questions about that? Everybody okay? You're, whenever you're this quiet, I always suspect someone is sneaking up behind me. Yeah, I just, I just I, maybe it's just me. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Um, yeah, there'll be tons of pre-meetings. Um, there are going to be pre-meetings about the budget, as we always have. And there'll be pre-meetings about Wheaton Bible Church absolutely positively. Um, you know, in my own mind, now I speak only for myself and not as from the Lord, as Paul would say, okay? Uh, just, I just, I'm just speaking for myself. I don't think there's going to be a full blast sort of FAQ out by the 25th of June whenever that vote comes, okay? Because it just takes too long to get the data, write it up, polish it up, vet it past 60 people, send it to the printer, make it look nice, and put it into your hands. We, we aren't going to make that. I mean, it just, it's just impossible. You will get, I think, very crisp reports from those committees. I suspect, and now I'm talking for myself, but this is what I would want to see. Somebody is going to say, we have had... Uh, you know, all sorts of engineers and experts run through this place, and here is the condition of the building. These are the things that are great. These are the things to watch out for. Boom, 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 boom. Here it is, okay? Or I suspect that the subcommittee for finance will come back and say, we've contacted two or three lenders. We've sat down with a bunch of people. We can borrow X number of dollars if we have to at X percentage rate for, for such a period of time. That's the sort of stuff I think. And I think what they're going to try to do is paint you a picture of what the future could look like if you go forward. That's what I think they are charged to do. But I think that um, they're going to try to do that to a level of detail that will let you vote intelligently about what we should do. And then it probably they will remind you that this deal is structured in two parts. The first part involves the parking lot. The second part involves the church. But it's meant as one part. It'll probably remind you of all the technicalities of that. But what they're really trying to do, I think, is they're doing all the heavy lifting so they can come back to you and say, hey, Kip, here's what the world looks like. Boom, boom, boom. You want to know about finance? Here it is. You want to know about the building? Here it is. You want to know about moving? Here it is. You want to know about dates? Here it is. You want to know about acoustics? This is what it looks like. You want to know about artwork? This is what it looks like. They're, those people are all, I presume, will stand up and get to have their say, and it will be had repeatedly. I can just tell you from sitting in those meetings, what they fear most is you not knowing everything you need to know. What they want to do is get it all on the table. But the pressure of that, these people don't do this as a full-time job. They're doing it. I mean, volunteers are leaving work early and sneaking out on lunch hours. And it's very cool to watch. So it, it'll, it'll be really interesting. And plus, they've pulled in a whole new group of people to help them out. So that's kind of nice, too. So it should be all good. So look, you know, date-ish date stuff, I suppose, by, again, roughly 1st of June-ish. I presume 1st of June-ish, you'll know 
when at least people will be talking to you about things and what they'll be saying. Anything else? I know there's a lot of you in the room who are doing that, Thanks, doing this kind of stuff. Thank you very, very much. It's been, uh, it's, just, it's fascinating to watch. In fact, one of the, uh, one of the things I noticed was um, things are kind of, you know how the universe collapses in on itself and then expands? Yes, that's where we are right now. In the, in the, we've collapsed in and now it's beginning to expand. And there is a name for this uh, that architects have, I was told. Creative chaos? No. Creative confusion? <laughs> anyway, there's some technical term for what we're experiencing. Uh, and so this is kind of, kind of, at least that somebody has a term for it makes me know that it's all okay. That we're not the first person. There's, there's so many things in the air. Okay? Um, and given all this, you know, we're never going to get to the end of First Peter, which is only like 12 verses long, right? The whole book is 12 verses long. Because I look back, and we started in August, and we're in chapter 2, you know, verse. So probably what we're going to do is, uh, oh, you know what else I want to, i got two other things. I've just, just been thinking about some stuff on the side, <laughs> occasionally. Um, if we had the Holy Supper every morning, how many of you would come? Every morning. Every morning. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It'll be free. Yes, it'll be free. We won't, uh, we won't, pass, the, uh, we won't pass the offering plate. Would any of you actually ever come if we, if we had the Holy Supper every morning? Would you come? I don't know. I depend on you. I thought 8.30 would be nice because all I can see is jittery mothers dropping off their kids saying, if there was only something that could save me. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is why I refer to that. I was thinking earlier, but I don't know. I know there are people who get on the... I just, I just put it out there. I wonder, um, Sun Tzu, the art of war, when your enemy advances, retreat. When your enemy retreats, advance. So sometimes I wonder, in the midst of chaos, change, newness, uh, what's the answer? More change. In the way of things that are stable, like, how would it change you and uh, kids in our school, perhaps, parents, families, uh, if people had the body and blood put into them you know, three or four times a week rather than once. I just put it out there. The other thing is, and uh, I've broached this a couple of times with you, but I will, I will, it's a little like saying, you know, you're going to wait to get married until you have the perfect time, and then you wake up 70 and try to remember who your prom date was in high school. Or uh, you say, we'll have kids when we can afford them, which, you know, $512,000 per kid is what I heard is the current cost. That's low. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> How many kids have you got? Yeah, okay. <clears throat> yeah, I know. I have, I, have, I, have, I, have, I have braces and two kids now, and it's, it's, it's $412 a month going to the man. And I'm thinking to myself, it's that or a lease payment on a Ferrari. Those are the two. My, <laughs> does it really matter if my kid's teeth are like this, if I could be driving? <laughs> I have, what's that? Yes, that's right. Go so fast you can't see him. Exactly right. See, Hitzman, the pragmatist. Attaboy. See? Well, one of, the, one of the interesting things that happens is what, yeah, you know, one of the things is that you, you sort of reap what you sow. And so I've had, um, you know, we, we made this big deal about the supper, and we continue to make a big deal about it. And, that, you know, there's the vicar saying today, you know, your salvation lies in the pastor's hands. And, What's happening is the kids are beginning to pick up on this. I've had no less than three kids in the last week who are under the age of seventh grade saying to me, 
Now tell me again why I can't come to the Holy Supper. Which for a pastor, you know, is uh, you start to go, you know, you don't quite know why they can't come to the Holy Supper, except somebody made a rule once, uh, somewhere, far away. So if I, I mean, I'm just asking, I'm just asking. I don't even know if I want to have, well, I don't know. Say I would run like a summertime full blast, but if you're going to go before seventh grade, you have to bring your parents along. I really want to go to the supper or slash I really want my kids to commune uh, at a younger age thing. Uh, would anybody have any interest in that? Just raise your hands if you have a little bit of interest in that. Okay, so see, that's what I'm kind of feeling. So maybe, maybe, you know, Vicar, take a note. Oh, they, take, they come from all places. We take, take a note, you know, maybe, and I'll, you know. So a couple of things on the, on the agenda. Uh, elders, we need to chatter about this, although we've chattered about this kind of stuff off and on for so long, but sometimes when people, when you change them, they just sort of say, well, it's about time, which wasn't their first reaction when you first brought it up, but that's when you a little bit know maybe you're there. So maybe we can, maybe we can think about that. Um, already we've split confirmation from First Communion, so this is a matter of uh, individualizing pastoral care, both to families and to kids, and that might not be the worst thing that could happen to a kid. We could probably do worse things than put the body and blood into them at a younger age. If you ask me how young, the answer is, I don't know. The Jesuits say, give them to me for the first seven years, and you'll never get them back. And they're pretty good at that, actually, if they do get the first seven years. But you know, however old it is, the kids start to be able to say, what is this? And you're, you say, what is this? And they say, well, that's the body of Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. Why are you saved? Because you're going to put that into me. That's probably it. Uh, we got other things to talk about, though. It's a broad thing. Yes, please. You, you can say anything you want to him. <laughs> he publicly says he's thank you for it. Will there be a check that will accompany this thanks? <laughs> Not this month, yeah. <laughs> when the braces come off. <laughs> yeah, I'm very grateful for the vicar. Yes, round of applause for the vicar, even though we're in church. It is, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting Easter course, and it's been, uh, but I mean, the goal was for you not to notice that people were missing and that life was good, so I do appreciate him as well. It's been a very kind, been a very kind Easter season, and more, more kindness to come in the next couple of months. So we shall see. All right, um, it's all right. I actually knew this was going to happen. So uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to read through 1 Peter at the beginning. Now, remember the assignment back in August was that you would read through 1 Peter every day, and I'm sure that you're, doing, you're all doing that. <laughs> I, remember, uh, I remember, so I pretty, pretty much you have it memorized by now. Yes, so you should have it memorized pretty well by now. So now I just want to, I just want uh, to, just to, the hard thing is, the hard, it's very difficult to keep going when you have two weeks on, two weeks off, take a month off, take, you know. So here's, I can just tell you what's going to happen. What's going to happen is, we're going to have Bible study, and then we're going to take off for Pentecost, and then uh, probably these, some of these meetings will get poached for call meetings or information meetings or voters meetings. I think I'm just going to keep slogging through this right through summertime, just keep going. But we do have to occasionally back and fill, because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. And I do... Um, 
is a fascinating time in our own life and a fascinating time to sort of be reading this text about growing up and being good for something and for somebody else. So uh, just First Peter. You know, we've got a few minutes. Let's just kind of read through. We'll, get, we'll sort of get to the point where we're going to go. You remember long ago, far away, uh, I actually started you with Second Peter 3. What sort of person is out to you to be in godliness and holiness? Now, you remember that that was given because Peter had said, now the world's about to dissolve in sort of a nasty way. And then he says, if you know that it's all going to dissolve, what sort of person's ought you to be? And over history, there have been all sorts of answers. Some people throw up the towel, throw in the towel, you know, throw up their hands. This is the end of it. Some people utterly indulge themselves, uh, you know. But other people, Christian people, stay the course. You do the same thing, even if you know that the world is going to end at 5 o'clock today, you do the same thing you've always done. You go to the supper, you go home, you love your kids, you, you kiss your wife, and uh, you sort of uh, figure out what the right thing is to do. And Peter talks about that sort of hopeful life. Now, it is fascinating that it's quasimodo genitai, which was uh, the day that there was the great celebration that more people got baptized. And as you remember as we started, that this was written to the newly baptized, probably, but it was read in the company of those who had been baptized for a very long time. And so you have this interesting thing of telling, revealing to the new baptizans um, what sort of life they've been drawn into and reminding people who have been there for quite some time what their life is supposed to look like. And you remember that when I started, I suggested to you that one of the benefits of reading every day would be not only that you would memorize the text, but also then have the text on the tip of your tongue and be able to speak about it. So Peter, and, uh, so I'm just going to go here from the, from the first. And you should, what I would love for you to be able to do, in fact, one of the things we talked about with the vicar, well, I talked about the vicar yesterday when we were talking about having um, the supper on a daily basis. Um, one of the questions about that is whether you have a preaching office with that. But that puts a tremendous amount of press to write a sermon for every day. If you go back and read Luther, you find that he's preaching once or twice a day. Now, partly what he's doing there is he's so engaged in the text, and he's been so steeped in things like memorizing all the psalms in Latin and praying them every day. It's so jammed into him that when he stands up and he has a text in front of him, and it's the daily mass or the daily service, he simply can stand up and talk about what it is that he's got going. So we still have to sort of sort that out. But that's just not for pastors. I mean, part of, part of what's trying to happen here is that you become so familiar with the text that when you pick this text up, I, I, hope, it, I hope you run past boredom in this reading to be able to, what should happen is that all sorts of lights should go off. You know how when you go take your driver's test, you know, and then they say, well, of course, last time I took it, they were saying, to, do you see anything on the right? And I'm thinking, well, I probably should. So, yes, okay, good. How about on the left? Is there anything blinking on the left that's red, blinking on the left? Uh, yes? Good, okay. What kind of a test is this? So, but as I, I digress, but I mean, that's a little bit what should happen when you read the text. You know, you should start, things should start blinking over here, and then something should blink over here, and oh yeah, that's down here, and then there's another one up here, and then, see, all of that's connected. All those things get connected when you read the text. 
And that's the way you're able to give an interesting witness. A witness doesn't come because you've memorized some lines, although it often starts with memorizing some lines. A witness starts because you can size up the person in front of you in fairly short order, figure out where the particular pain is, and figure out what sort of Jesus they need to engage that pain. That's how it normally starts. So that's what you should be after. So here it is, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, saw him face to face, to the exiles in dispersia, Pontia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynian, to which you should identify, your first thought should be, and we're exiles too. If you aren't weird, you're probably not a Christian. If you feel like you belong, that's probably a bad sign. Why? Because you were, verse 2, chosen and destined by God the Father, sanctified by the Holy Spirit for obedience, and sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. This is 1 Peter 1, just the first couple of verses. So who are you? You're the person that the Father chose, that Jesus sprinkled in the Holy, Holy Ghost, and you can't be clear enough about saying sanctified for obedience. Occasionally when I know a kid uh, is having a bad week when we bless him at the altar, I bless him into their baptism and toward obedience. And then they always look at me like this. <laughs> but obedience is part of the game. There it is right there. What's, why does he hallow you, forgive you, sanctify you? Why does he forgive you for nothing? No, for obedience. And now you're saying that to people, and, and you realize this is the great divide even in the Christian church right now. That there are churches where you can believe anything you want and do anything you want, and there are churches that tell you this is the straight and narrow. The first churches grow very fast and uh, sort of flame out. The second group sort of carries on. I was thinking today at the supper, uh, kind of rejoicing in the history of people as we went around. Um, of course, we're thinking a lot about because the school is, um, you know, in the hunt and there's, there's such a lot of good the school does. And I kind of, I think to myself, you know, what's been put into people over the course of, you know, I, I know people who have, who have had experiences and are in the church because of that. And also people who have grown up in the church from forever. You know, the constant repetition of living within obedience to Christ and hearing that as a gospel thing. That was just a glorious, glorious thing. You should hear this as, thank God somebody taught me to obey. Thank God somebody kept me from running into the road. Thank God somebody told me what was sinful. You know, thank God there are ten words that tell me how it is between God and me and, God, and, me and my neighbor. Thank God for that. But that's how you should hear this. This is just great stuff. Grace and peace to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he makes the first move. We were born again to a living hope. Baptism saves us. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, don't you know that all of you who were baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? This is just your bell should be going off here. I am baptized. I have hope. I am resurrected. My inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven guarded by God's power, though it'll take a little while for it to be revealed. One of the marks of a mature congregation is they can stay the course when uh, things aren't easy, if I can say it to you that way. Or they can stay the course when everything doesn't break their way. It's true of mature persons it's also true of congregations. You know, there are, there are some persons who, uh, and this is always a real difficult pastoral thing. Part of the reason we spend so much time trying to get the right 
person in the right place is we don't want to blow anybody up at the stress point. And things can be very stressful in your own lives. They can be very stressful in a Christian's life. They can be very stressful in a congregation's life. One of the reasons to get the right person in the right job is so that people never get overmatched. And this is exactly what this text is talking about, that you are able to stay the course, see long, far out in front of you, be drawn toward the eschaton, know that whatever happens to you today, you're in God's hands, and you wonder to yourself, for everything that happens to you, defined as good and evil, how the Lord will use that for your benefit. The Kenyan deaconess says, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. So, can you really confess that? Jesus on the cross, confessing that God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. That's it right here, and it's for you. Right? So, without, this is now verse 8, without having seen him, you love him. That's Thomas today in the gospel, right? If you don't see him, you believe in him. You rejoice with unutterable and exalted joy. And then uh, what came next? The prophets who prophesied of grace that was yours asked a lot of questions about this salvation. They inquired what person or what time was indicated by the Spirit of Christ. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. And I just wonder, I mean, if that's, not, if that's not asking a question about what a church should go forward doing, if nobody ever said to me again, I don't have trouble finding a seat at 745, so I don't know why we're thinking about expanding. If nobody ever said to me again, you know what, I don't have trouble finding a parking place at 6 o'clock on Saturday night, so I don't know why we're thinking about expanding. The answer is, listen to me. It's not about you! Okay, in case there was any you know, confusion about that? Why does Isaiah get sawn in two? For you. Why does Jeremiah get thrown in the cistern? For you. You know. Why does Elijah, you know, lie on a mountain asking God to kill him? For you. All these people are pointing to Christ. If you didn't get that out of the Lenten Wednesday series, you missed the point. You know, when, when, the, when, the, when the vicar slammed the door on Melchizedek, uh, you know, that's Jesus. Uh, you know, it's all about you. And then as soon as you get it, it's not about you. You see? So, I mean, going forward, no matter what we do, you shouldn't make the decision in your interest. Make the decision in the interest of somebody else, in the interest of the next generation, in the interest of those who don't know Christ, in the interest of the weak person sitting next to in the pew. Make the decision in their interest. And if you do that, it'll be the right decision. If you don't, it'll be the wrong decision. Christians live for other people. Jesus on the cross is the great example of that, and the resurrection is the great confirmation of that. They wanted to see it, but they realized they were living for you, and you got to see good things that even the angels wanted to see, and they didn't get to see it. I'm hoping when you read the text, you can not only see the connections, but see the practical application of things. So, 13, gird up your minds and be sober. And part of the question is, then, what intoxicates you? I mean, this isn't talking, this isn't talking about, you know, don't drink too much. This is talking about pay attention to what's going on around you and figure out what sort of life Jesus would have you lead. Okay? And one of the great things here, and I just want to be very clear about this, this exalts neither reason nor emotion. 
It's not, you, you can, <laughs> some of the people I most respect intellectually are the people who can talk other people into anything. So in, in the classical world, they were known as sophists, and then sometimes worse things. Uh, you know, but they had the ability to tie people in knots. That's the misuse of reason. In the same way, that's not where we are. You know, we're not in a, we don't live in a society where you, reason is, we live in a society where reason doesn't even matter. That's why postmodern kids could think that Jesus is both their savior and a sinner. It doesn't matter, that doesn't fit together. Why? Because I still feel good about Jesus. Well, see, and that's a misuse of emotion. Reason and emotion are both corrupted by the fall, both need to be redeemed. How does that happen? By an external standard. You should ask yourself for everything that happens in the church, everything you say, everything you do, does this fit with the ten words? Does this fit with the image of Christ? Is this consistent with word and sacrament? Is this what I was baptized into? Have I just offended the body and blood of Jesus Christ? Did my guardian angel have to turn his eyes away? There is an external standard, and to live by that is to be sober. To not live by that is to be intoxicated by yourself and the world. Okay? So this doesn't mean the vicar can't have a joke in his sermon that nobody gets. Okay, yes, all right, you got it. I got it. You got it. Well, I was, it would have been inappropriate because I read the text before you gave it, and it would have been like a laugh track on television. That's not good, is it? Not annoying when they laugh, and there's, you're like, there's nobody here. Why is everybody laughing? Uh, you have to you can give them a benefit. No, you know, see, that's not about that. It's not about you can't. It's about, it's about living as a Christian, thinking about other people. You got it? So this hope fully revealed. As obedient children, again, these are newly baptized. Who are you? Your children. What do children need to do? Obey. Why do they obey? One good reason is they make their fathers proud. And obedient Christians make their heavenly fathers proud. Right? He's called you. He's holy. He said, you shall be holy as I am holy. I'm your father. And he judges impartially. Loves you a ton, but he wants to see the goods. Right? You were rescued with the precious blood of Jesus. The lamb without blemish or spot. We just went through the Pascha. We just went through the Passover. Right? 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere love of brothers, love one another earnestly because why? You're going to die and then you're going to live so don't waste your time. Chapter 2, so put away and now he just gives you a list of things and this is all this is is drawn out of the ten words malice, guile, put away envy, slander like newborn babies, quasi modo genitae. Like newborn, like children just born, long for pure spiritual milk, that you may grow up to salvation, for you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Right? Come to him, the living stone, precious, you are living stones. And then we swung through how you are then also priests, and as priests, you are meant to be always in his service. So I walk into Caribou on Friday. I never go to Caribou. I think it was Friday. There must have been 85 people from St. John there. You know, every place I turned, it was like, it was like one of those bad, I thought, I thought it was an intervention. You know, <laughs> you know people were everywhere. You know, you, but I just want to tell you, but my life is regularly life, like that, but I just, want you to, I just want you to consider that your lives are like that as well. That everything you do, everything you say is up for review. You know, they always talk about pastors living in a fishbowl. I just want you to know that you all live in a fishbowl too. If you're going to be a priest, if you're, going to, if you're really going to pre be a priest of Jesus Christ in the world, which is how this talks about you, the priesthood of all believers, 
By virtue of baptism, you're made a priest in the kingdom of God. Then every time somebody looks at you, they should be saying, that's how a priest acts. And that is something we really need to consider. You know, you're all on display all the time to mediate the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have not heard. Big responsibility and the best of all lives. And if we can just get that, if we can just figure out that to be a Christian is not a punishment, you know, it's not to lose your fun, you know, it's not to, to give up uh, things that would soothe your soul. If instead we could understand again the thing that newborn Christians understand, that they are bitterly empty until the point that Christ fills them by way of word and sacrament. If we can re-understand that, which may be a reason why the old folk get to hear what the new folk are being told, so that they can too, once again, can learn to live in hope, then life will be good and all will be well. Okay? All right, we're up. Um, I will see you next week. We will do what's on that sheet you've got. Hold on to it, okay? Bless you. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. 